Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can also find me personally at Justin Bizarro on Instagram and now on threads as well as well as Facebook. I am all three of those. I do not tweet. I do have an account. Again, it's at Justin Bizarro, but I haven't figured it out. But threads makes it a little easier so threads came out two days ago and i I am involved in that Uh, i am trying it so the audience knows i know a lot of people have asked so i'm just going to answer it now on the episode also you can find us on spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts you can find this show and all the three other shows that we do the night dasher the justin ryan bizarro show where we interview non-food entrepreneurs and uh, the Centurion Leadership Italian Show with Justin Bizarro. All of them are on there. You type in my last name again, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. All four of them will pop up. Some of them we went through the pilots. We will be launching the Night Dasher No series. And again, we are continually evolving uh, from season to season on the Centurion Leadership Italian Show. And then, of course, we had a lot of entrepreneurs coming to us wanting to try to be on this show because I put food in parentheses. And I thought maybe that's the direction we go, but we decided to give them their entirely their own show. So that began this year, so that's pretty cool. So thank you again for everyone for listening in. I have a very special guest today. We've been talking it up in here so much so uh, my team's like, hurry up and get started. We were just gabbing away, and I appreciate you're a great listener, Joseph. So I'm going to say that I'm going to give him a compliment before I introduce him in a great conversation listen very intellectually stimulating, honestly. And um, <laughs> Joseph Haber of Tomahawk out of Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, Justin. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it, Joseph. Let's let's dive into your story. I know we you gave me a lot of carrots to sort of nibble up at the beginning. I know that you have quite an interesting story. You've obviously had some success. You're a growing business. You've gone from I think a mobile business into a brick and mortar. So the microphone's yours. Where'd you grow up? How'd you get started? And how'd you end up in the food game? Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in Northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, right on the border of New York, New Jersey, uh, on the Pennsylvania side and, uh, grew up, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, in the country, on a, a nice hill out of, outside of town and uh, was not like a food oriented person. My family wasn't, you know, food oriented. My, my father was a, uh, an iron worker in New York city actually. And uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. She came, you know, she took care of us, my, my younger sister, my two younger brothers. And um, yeah, I, I was not like aware of, of food at all, but you know, she cooked every day for us uh, real simple stuff. Um, very basic, you know, a lot of grilled, we had a barbecue. It was like, she would grill just whatever. And then some, you know, vegetables on the side. Um, but nothing spectacular. And, uh, I never really knew what I wanted to be growing up. I was curious about everything and that, you know, kind of leads you into, you know, master of none. And I was always kind of curious looking at different things and, uh, ended up going to college for uh x-ray i'm an x-ray tech by trade and so uh went uh went to college down in central pennsylvania to become an x-ray tech and uh, moved down to baltimore after i graduated and practiced down in the city for uh, about five years and in the meantime my now wife and i um you know 
started our relationship together and we had we had children so by the time my uh my first daughter was born i uh i became i stopped taking x-rays and i became uh, a stay-at-home dad and that's really where like my cooking career kind of took off uh i would say or started a stay-at-home dad i was interested in food uh once i got to college I became aware that I had a palate for for food. Uh, I I, and I was I was just curious about it. I would I want to know where's the best pizza in town, where's the best this, where's the best that. And I had I I wasn't I didn't have like a lot of restrictions uh, on, on my diet. You know I was wanted to try everything that uh, came from my father being in the military and just you know had like a very kind of uh like marine corps attitude towards food was like you know the the more things you eat the harder it would be for you to starve where it's like a thing that he would say from time to time and uh so we were exposed to all different kinds of food growing up and so i became became curious about it and then i didn't have anybody to cook for me anymore when i was in school so uh coming out of a house that i had a home cooked meal all the time I started eating, you know, just the nonsense that you eat when you're in college and realized that it was was just that. It was nonsense. And uh, that if I took the time to prepare my own food, that it would be worlds better than what I was finding, especially for the money that I could spend as a college student. So um, I started cooking for myself in college here and there. I uh, got curious about American barbecue. That's probably the first style of food that really captivated me. And uh, and then so from those were all like this, those kinds of seeds were sown in school and I would play around here and there grilling chicken or whatever we grilled a lot to in college. And then, uh, and then once I became a stay at home dad, I really had the time now to sink into this, uh, into this, you know, hobby in a way. Um, and it kept me sane as a father at home, you know, you're raising children every day. I was, you know, down on the ground with my kids and I would have, you know, chicken stock going on in the background or, you know, try some sourdough bread. And every day was kind of like a, uh, a chance you had, to, I had to put food on the table for my family anyway. So let me go ahead and explore this recipe or explore that, this ingredient or that cooking technique. And I, I really treated my time as a stay at home dad, almost as like my, my cooking school. I took it very seriously in a weird way, just imposed on myself. Um, and I guess maybe that's part of my, like just overall frequency as a person. I've always strived to be the best at whatever I do. And if I'm going to do it to do it well. And, um, and so I really just kind of just nothing was out of bounds. I wanted to know all sorts of things. And like I said, the American barbecue was the first thing that really captivated me. And that was a place that I started learning how to take these big cuts and break them down. Uh, the application of time, uh, you know, what it means to put a rub together and, and why are you adding certain ingredients? I really had the time to just kind of sit and deconstruct each thing and try it out, see what happens, try it again, you know, the next time. And, uh, and, and so took that time to really kind of fall in love with food in a way. I mean, as I went deeper and deeper into it, I became more and more fascinated by it. And so once my kids got to be of an age where they were starting to go to school now and I didn't have to be so hands-on, stay at home, I was able to start to 
you know, work again. And I always told myself, I'm going to try to do something in food before I, uh, before I go back and take x-rays again, if, if that's something that I wanted to do. So in, uh, in the spring of 2020, actually, I had the opportunity to uh, start a little taco stand at the local farmer's market in uh, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, right, uh, right where I live. And uh, that was uh, that was really where it all started. That's where Tomahawks really started to, t- to, uh, to become a, a thing. And it was my first time selling my food, which is always a little bit of a, uh, a moment, I think, for a lot of, especially like home cooks turn going into the professional cooking side of things. There's a little bit of this like walking through the through the veil uh that you have that i don't know if that happens so much if you've gone to culinary school and you know that you're going into food to get into it professionally and that eventually your craft will be for uh some kind of like monetary you know value i always just like feeding people really and uh so it gave me that a chance to have that moment to say all right now the food that i make is going to be for sale and you'll pay me money. And that's kind of, you know, really at the core of this whole thing. And so that was a beautiful thing. It was the season, it was, you know, the season of COVID. So that was also just insane, but having never been done it before, I had no idea what to expect. So it all might've well been, it was all new to me anyway. We were outside at the farmer's market and, uh, and I can't say enough about farmer's markets in general. Um, they're, this like really beautiful uh, like soil that can grow all sorts of uh, things. I, it's just something that's like just so like innately American about it. I think that you have this like low bar of entry into, into doing something that you've got that you're passionate about. And before having to, go out there and secure, you know, multi-million dollar loans from a bunch of investors and do all these things. All, you know, you can get a folding table and pay a $35 fee for the day and go set up and try your thing out uh, and see if people like it or not. I mean, it's just, it's something to me that I just think is so important, especially when you talk about entrepreneurship and, uh, and food in general too, because food can have this like weird bar of entry as well. Um, something that I even come to find out that uh, I was a little like upset about getting into food at first. Uh, you know, if you have, if you want to be uh, like a cabinet maker, you can just start making cabinets in your basement or your garage and, uh, and nobody's going to give you a hard time about it. And you can, you know, bring them around to wherever kind of place and try to sell them. And, but with food, you need to have like a, a an officially licensed place to, you know, cook out of you place that you're going to be doing things out of. And uh, so there's like a little bit of more of a bar of entry for food and the farmer's market kind of like at least can alleviate some of that and let you get out there and at least try. So we started that April, April 1st of 2020. I'll always remember I, I, uh, I completely misjudged all of my prep. I ended up prepping all night long. I didn't sleep at all. Went to, you know, all the way until six o'clock in the morning and packed up everything that I had made, brought it out to the farmer's market, set it up. I was like pressing tortillas by hand, uh, that first day. I mean, just insane to think about what, uh, you know, in, in hindsight now, 
um, but got set up out there and had a good response. People enjoyed it. You know, I was cooking from the heart, from scratch, the best that I can, and and uh, and people could taste that. And so that was that was all that I needed. And so our farmers markets on Wednesday here in Lewisburg. And so every Wednesday for the the rest of that season, then all the way through Thanksgiving, I uh, I set up Wednesday morning my my little taco stand. I wrote my menu out and. Uh, and it was really a beautiful time in my life. I, I, I hold like a lot of really just like cherished memories from that, that season, which could be a bit counterculture to the 2020 year for a lot of people. Um, but for me, it was, it was very unique to say the least. And, uh, and that all went, went wonderful by the end of the season. I was, you know, we were moving like over a hundred tacos uh, a day at the market. I would set up and then I, I wouldn't look down from my grill. It would be over in, you know, four hours i'd be sold out of everything that i had and uh just the biggest smile on my face and and i, I but it needed it started to grow so much that it, it needed a home you know you start to have these things and all of a sudden you know you've now you've burst this thing into the world and and it needs to be taken care of it needs it needs all of the things that you know, like we were saying before, when you have this, this, you know, this business, it's, it's not unlike a child and it needs to be taken care of. And I can see that this, this seed of this thing that I, I've sown is growing now and it, it needs a place to live. And, and me as a cook, I needed a, I needed a home to cook out of. I was going to, you know, these different commissary kitchens and moose clubs and things around locally to try to find professional kitchens to cook out of, to make my food because you do need that as a cook. And, uh, and I wanted, I wanted a place that I could practice my craft. And, uh, luckily enough for me, the, one of the people who came to eat tacos at the taco stand at the farmer's market had uh, just purchased a building in the town over from us in Mifflinburg, uh, four, five, six Chestnut street. Just a little slice of middle of America over there and uh, right on the main street of that town and went to go out and look at it. And I, I just fell in love with the building as soon as I saw it. We have a nice little six person bar that sits right on our uh, runs right down our open kitchen. And uh, and I had now a place that I could practice. So that next year, April 2nd now of uh, 2021, we opened the doors to to Tomahawks and we started selling uh, our, our tacos and boiled cornbread. And uh, so that was really the, the advent of the whole thing. So I picked tacos, uh, you know, coming into the farmer's market, it was that was just told you need to do something breakfast. We need something, some kind of breakfast food out there. And I said, well, Hey, I can make a breakfast taco. Uh, wasn't even necessarily like I had been practicing making tacos. I think originally I wanted to do barbecue. Like I said, I had fallen in love with uh, American barbecue and I really just like, just loved everything about it. And, uh, but and to thank goodness now, you know, again, in hindsight is 2020. And I can't imagine the trouble I would have gotten myself into, you know, slow smoking, uh, you know, briskets and pork shoulders and things like that for uh, 12 hours at a time before coming out to sell it. Um, it's just, oh, my goodness, I can't even imagine now. But uh, I liked making uh, corn tortillas. That was something that was one of my uh, projects that I was passionate about as a stay-at-home dad, and I knew I could rock a good breakfast taco, and then that would give me the the freedom to make whatever else I wanted to uh, beyond that. And so at the farmer's market, I made a handful of different kinds of tacos, different flavors. It was very like Tex-Mexy, kind of American mashup, just, you know, whatever. Uh, 
anything that you could fit inside this like little uh, corn plate, I would uh, I would put in there. But then coming into the brick and mortar, you know, I wanted to kind of focus things a bit more. What did I who, what did I have to say? You know, who am I as a person? You start to kind of ask these questions as you start to go to, you know, open up a real restaurant. Yeah, let me and so uh, let me ask. Yeah, go right ahead. Let me ask. Jump right question. in whenever you've got any kind of uh, things. Yeah. So, um, tell me about the tacos. Like, like, give me some details here because you don't come from a culinary background. You're creating breakfast burritos. Which everyone's like, duh. You, everyone does it in their home, but it's a little different when you're trying to get consumers. And for anyone who's not an entrepreneur in food, like the difference between your home and selling it to consumers. It's leaps and bounds. There's the regulations that we talked about, but it's also trying to get the food out on time. It's also trying to have mm-hmm. variety so you can appeal to people. You talked about choosing corn tortillas. Did you also have flour tortillas? So give me a little bit of that. Tell me about like what did this menu exactly look like? Because it's hard for me to imagine like just yeah. breakfast and tacos. Like so, um, you know, because I yeah. love tacos of all sorts. I'm a huge taco fan. Absolutely. Yeah. Though there was, so that, yeah, when we went corn, corn over flour, I did actually that very first day at the market, I did, I did offer both flour and corn because I had made flour tortillas in the past as well. And, uh, and and that quickly became like, just obvious, like obviously too insane. And this is a little bit of a hiccup that I think that you run into. I would imagine a lot of home cooks transferring, like, you know, crossing the the line into this professional setting. Uh, you, there's like a lot of, you're just delusional about certain things. You know, you're, you're, you're filtering only for flavor, only for the eating experience perhaps. And you're not thinking about the economics of things. You're not thinking about the time, the pickup times of things, uh, because that's not the, the environment that you're used to to cooking in. So, uh, but I, I quickly switched to corn. I've, I've always been, I've always had like a love for corn tortilla more than a flour. And, uh, and then come to find out that's actually my my roots, which in the moment I didn't even know about, but it's just one of those things that's kind of funny. That's built down, like in your subconscious where like, what, why do you prefer one thing over another? And the corn, there was just something beautiful about the corn, uh, that it's just these two ingredients, you know, like masa and water really that, you know, that's it. And, and I've always, I've always been like a bit of a minimalist at heart. So, uh, that was something that was very appealing to me. I liked that. And then the, just the flavor, the texture of it all. So we, we, it's been corn from the very beginning and then, uh, and then, yeah, rounding out a menu. So the breakfast was a nice place to start because it gave me, it's also, uh, it's a very, uh, like, uh, crowd pleasing kind of thing. Anybody can get down with a breakfast taco. Uh, we were doing our own chorizo I was making. So it kind of like, this is how, and how a menu can kind of like, uh, kind of bloom in its own kind of way. You have these certain things that are staples that, you know, that you start with and then you're like, Oh, well this makes sense for this. And then that will make sense for that. So let's do that. So we knew breakfast taco. Okay. So how do we want to do that? Well, that's going to be some kind of meat, egg and cheese and a tortilla. And then I'm saying for sure some salsa and then onions on top. Well, what kind of meat do we want to roll with? Well, I'm not going to do, I, you know, think about ham or bacon, but what makes sense? Well, how about like some chorizo, a chorizo sausage that like, that sounds fantastic. And then for as long as we're making a, you know, some chorizo, let's do a chorizo taco as well. So we did like a pork sausage, 
uh, Wahilo chilies. We're blending them down ourselves to make, uh, you know, really, again, like for better or for worse, as the home cook like this, I'm like from scratch, you know, so I'm de-seeding Wahilo chilies, you know, we're, we're, we're blending them up into this, uh, into this puree, mixing that with that pork sausage and making this just like, like vibrant red chorizo that goes into the breakfast taco. Hey, boom, we got another taco. That's the chorizo taco. That's, that's already, we've, we've, we've got that recipe down some queso fresco cheese on top, some onions and mint, a little salsa, again, simplicity. Like uh, I love the minimalism. I don't want to do, you know, we're already, we're already doing a lot. We're making our own tortillas from scratch. We're, We're making this, we're cooking this chorizo out from fresh pork sausage that we got from a butcher at the market, you know, like that's, we don't need to do some kind of in ridiculous pico de gallo on it or whatever. So then from there, that's okay. So that's two nice ones here. Um, I'm a fan of, again, for my, for my barbecue backgrounds, I, I love just like a piece of braised meat, like a perfectly piece of braised meat that isn't over rendered. And obviously as an under, you know, we need to bite through it, but there is like, you know, that's like a common error that I see around a lot of places. People think that you can't like overcook a a pork shoulder, but you most certainly can. And, and I'd like to believe that a lot of us have had this experience where like you go to bite into this, you know, piece of, you know, this bite of, uh, of pulled pork and it's just so over rendered that it's just shredding into nothing. And there's no like connective tissue or fat still suspended in the meat fibers. And it's like all been rendered out and it's sitting in a pile of juices in the bottom and you're chewing through this thing. And it's just like almost arduous. And I, I want nothing to do with that. I wanted like a perfectly piece of rendered meat. And so we said, all right, we can do a carnitas like that. And then we also did uh, brisket Colorado, and that's become a staple for us as well. So some braised out brisket, blend that, all that, the drippings that you get from doing that with some dried chilies to make like a nice sauce, toss the whole thing in. So now we have like some, a couple like real like staple rock salad staples on the menu. And then now I'm getting to a point where, okay, that's about the menu. I can't really prep more items than that we're getting like to like a pretty full prep day unbeknownst to me i don't know any of this and again in hindsight speaking but i'm just kind of like putting this menu together so we've got a breakfast taco we've got a chorizo taco we've got this brisket colorado or the carnitas i never did both of those on the same day i would pick flip from, flip-flop from one or the other and then one other let's let's do, do one other thing or well we certainly need a, some kind of vegetable taco right we, I want to be able to appeal to everybody. I want everyone to be able to have uh, an, a chance to come eat my food. So yeah, absolutely. we went with uh, we went with mushrooms, and uh, always like uh, a mole sauce is you know has a lot of depth of flavor. And I'm like you know how can we how can we get just flavor into vegetables? I want people to be able to. I don't want to put a vegetable taco on a menu just only for the sake of appealing to an audience, but like how can we make it good too? And uh, so we started doing a, a mole uh, sauce with some toasted pecans and chocolate and then uh, along with a, a ton of other alliums and spices and things and then blending that all up, mixing with the, those mushrooms. And then so we got the mushroom taco there. And then I, I still wanted one more thing. And I wanted a place to be maybe a little creative. A lot of these other these other things that were going down the line, they're a bit straightforward and they're like, 
you know, some classics trying to do, you know, at this point now we're like, what wave of tacos are, are we on now in the United States? I mean, we've got to be like third wave taco. I mean, I, I couldn't yeah, even I guess. tell you. Like, but, uh, you know. I can't remember his first name, but Bell was the first one Taco Bell and he actually helped create Los Dos or whatever it is. Not, I can't remember the name of it. Well, that's weird. I'm drawing a blank today. There are two taco places in the United States that are chains, but he was part of creating both. But yeah, you're right. So there was that one. Then we've sort of had the boom in the early 2000s, late 2000s. I feel like that all air smeared together. And then all of a sudden, like the Torchy Taco or the Velvet Taco, if you're in Nashville, sort of have, these businesses have really yeah. boomed um, over the last four or five years. So I agree with you 100%. Um, and each time that the taco boom has happened, the tacos have gotten more, have gotten better. They've gotten more yeah. foodie, for lack of a better term. They've got more flavors in them. They're they're happier yeah. in your mouth and on your palate, of your tongue, going around all your sensory, you know, sweet, sour, uh, savory, uh, spicy. Yep. So all of those yeah, absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. We're well. They're in, they're inspiring, and so anything that's inspiring gains garners focus from people in general, and 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 then in turn people love and so then they they really they really focus on it they they pine over it and then you start to really think about it and now we're now we're consciously thinking about a food item and so and then also just as a quick aside i would be doing us a disservice if we didn't if i didn't at least say predating all of that we have our like og wave as especially as a mohawk chef here like our og wave of original like corn flatbread like nixonized corn flatbread with you know, like any something in it, braised meat, vegetable, whatever, rolled up and eaten and like, you know, all through South and North America. So like, that's your, to say that, okay, that's our OG first wave and then go from there. But yeah, like coming into the farmer's market, doing, uh, trying to just nail some classics, a good carnitas, a good chorizo, you know, some of like these classic, you know, V2 uh, tacos, but now me wanting to get my hand into this, like you're saying, a bit, you know, these like more modern tacos after you see like LA blow up and start using like Korean Mexican flavors together in a taco, then now nothing is out of bounds. So then I took uh, my chicken taco and that was kind of like my playground for that. Every week I would change the chicken taco to a new flavor. And that was anywhere from like jerk chicken to, uh, I think I did like a pumpkin pie spiced chicken taco in the fall one time. Um, all the berries, we did blueberry, a chicken taco, raspberry chicken taco. It was just like a bland enough protein to allow me to be able to lay over some kind of creativity. And then that was really scratching the, the itch for me each week, keeping me as en engaged as a cook saying, okay, what can we come up with this one now uh, for this week? And I think in keeping my clientele engaged as well, people were excited to come check out what's this one going to be uh, this week. So kind of set that, that was the menu that, that set the stage for the whole thing uh, in the beginning, that first season at the farmer's market. And, uh, and it was well and good and it was a lot of fun, but it, it didn't, there was something still deeper down that I was like, that I was searching for as I'm kind of exploring myself as a cook. You know, this is like, I cooked a lot at home as a stay at home dad, but me, that was, you know, me just like 
practicing scales on a on an instrument, you know, getting used to the my learning how to use a knife, getting used to techniques. What does it mean to roast something in the oven? Just the bare bones. I hadn't had a chance to explore myself as a person or my own preferences as a cook as a cook yet. So now with all of this as a foundation laid and having the amazing opportunity to come into this brick and mortar, which is a restaurant that's been in town for years, decades of time. This has been a restaurant. It was a old pizza and sub shop for a long time. So it's. And it's I have a question before we get into the restaurant, if you don't mind. Uh, one yeah, second there, ahead. Joseph. I want to ask a question of you. And um, I want to just talk about uh, your experience uh, beforehand. I have some questions about knife skills and cooking skills and stuff like that. So I want to dive into that. Yes. So, I mean, did you. Did you learn? I mean, was this just trial and error? You're learning knife skills. You're learning cooking skills. You're learning the most efficient way to do things. You're learning new prep methods, like how you're prepping, how you're packaging, how you're transporting. Because I think there's a lot that goes into this to be a food entrepreneur, especially what you're doing with the the farmer's market. And I want to anchor this because there's so many lessons and Mm -hmm. skills like that the beginning of your business, I, I don't even know, like the first two, three years is basically the hardcore skills you and that you use to operate your company potentially for the rest of its life, at least in my experience, um, at mm-hmm. least for two and a half decades. That's been my experience. And so let's talk about this. Are you YouTubing? Like, where are you getting this education? Is it merely just hard knocks? The reason uh, why I didn't go to cooking school was that we live in a uh, an age now where like, I didn't necessarily have to, there's so much information out there these days. Uh, and we have access to it via the internet, but also just, uh, it's just everywhere. You know, I was a product of the food network for sure. As a kid, that was like my first, like I could tell like passion for food was watching iron chef America and just not being able to believe that like a cook could be standing there, not knowing what they're going to cook. And then, like, raise the lid and see, you know, just this random thing, uh, random ingredient, uh, hibiscus or whatever, and then make, like, a five-course meal off of this ingredient having not known. I was blown away by that. And so watching, you know, Good Eats uh, was a great show for me. It was a very technique-driven thing. Tons of YouTube videos. But then also, like, every chef now gets to make a cookbook and puts a cookbook out there. So going to libraries, I was taking my kids to the library all the time when I was a stay-at-home dad. And I would get, like, two children's books for the kids, and I would get a cookbook for myself. And then just, like, going through recipe after recipe after recipe. What are the... Googling recipes. I mean, you can go if you want to make a macaroni salad. There's literally millions of recipes for macaroni salad. And what I would do is I would go through and I would say, all right, here are the top 20 macaroni salads. What do they all have in common? What do they all have? It's different. And you could see like, all right, these are the core pieces of this dish. You foundationally need to have this, this and this. Here are the places where everybody varies. This is where you can put in your personality. This is where you can kind of show where you're from or what you like or your palate or whatever. And so kind of just like really going through and but it's all it all has to come from personal drive. You know, there's nobody that's there telling you you need to do this or, you know, make sure that you do your homework. But I just loved it so much. I couldn't I couldn't help myself. I was just fascinated by it. So that was all leading up to the farmer's market. 
and then the farmers market and i think that this is goes for like a little bit of for i think everybody everybody who starts their own business has like a little bit of this idea that goes on where it's like you really truly don't know what you're getting yourself into and so you, there's a naivete that comes along with just being like hey i'm going to i'm going to do this thing and you just have no idea and then reacting uh in the moment seeing things and that you know problem solving uh you know, critically thinking about certain uh, ideas or uh, problems that arise. And that was mostly what the farmer's market was, was having now like switching this to, it's like, all right, I've, I've gathered all of the skills in the classroom and, and, the, and the ability to move through the world. Now let's apply these, let's apply these skills to uh, like everyday life. And let's, you know, see how they, see how they come out the other side. And so the farmer's market was like, you know, that was immediately start, you start running into like, well, okay, what is your food cost? What is your, what's your overhead? Uh, you know, like, which at the farmer's market, again, is a really beautiful thing. It's super simple. I had like a little flat top grill, uh, my propane tank, it cost me, it was like one tank of propane per week that it cost me to run that grill. So I had my fuel costs. I had my rent that I paid the farmer's market each Wednesday that I was there, my like $30 of rent or whatever. So put that in, you know, it was like a, this nice, like neat little kind of, you know, very sim simple version of, of what we all deal with in restaurants, you know, uh, at a larger scale and they can get, you know, more and more complex, but at the same time, it's all still of the same, uh, a lot of it is the same, you know, rhythm. You still have your food costs, you have your labor costs, you have all of your things. So the farmer's market then was a nice little playground, low stakes environment for me to be able to start to flesh out now the business side of it, because that was another part that I had no idea about. You know, I was, I was able to tell myself how to cook. Um, I taught and I knew how to learn how to do things. You know, I was, my x-ray background was not bringing anything to the table, anything to the table, uh, in regards to this, you know, career shift, but it did, I did learn how to take x-rays. And so coming into a completely new profession that I had nothing about as a young man, and then learning how to do that profession to a professional level. And then I turned right around and said, okay, now I have to learn how to do this new thing to a professional level. And, uh, and so got to, got a real nice, like hands-on chance to start to see the way that these things work and know what it means to like, when I write something now on the menu, if I say, all right, and it will have a citrus lime slaw that me writing that on the menu is going to unfurl now an entire set of, of actions that I have to follow through in order, in order to put that on the menu. Now, where am I going to get the citrus slaw from what's it you know what's its composition what am i going to have to do to make that happen so then you can start to you can't just dream a menu there needs to be some you need to be a bit pragmatic about it at the same time so uh the you know the reality can start to set in because that's really where it is there is a lot of like pragmatism that has to come at this point which where the rubber meets the road the actual doing of the thing that's uh, where the real magic happens. Are you, you know, still going just... solo this whole time at the farmer's market? I mean, is this still the solo Joseph show? I mean, I had, I had, uh, I amazed. had, yeah, so it was at the very beginning. It, it was, it's just me 
taking an order, turning around, making the thing. And once I started, once people, the word got out that, hey, this guy's making like, you know, something from scratch and it tastes pretty good. Uh, and more people start showing up. I had to get I had to get a kid to run register for me um, so uh, they could at least take the order take all the money. I didn't have to change my gloves. I could be locked into the grill, just pushing orders out. And then I could never have done it without uh, my father was there like every Wednesday for that whole first season. Once the whole thing started to get up and going and he could tell that, you know, like you, it's, it's always nice to have an extra set of hands. So whenever I would forget something or you would have inevitably some other thing would go awry, uh, you know, there's a little bit of uh Murphy's law that goes into this kind of thing, you know, serving food is like that because, because of its ephemeral nature, it needs to be executed. Like every time that you want to have it, it's not like you're just making the, you know, like making the, the coffee mug. And then once I've made the mug, I can put it on the table and it's a static thing. Nothing's going to happen to it. It's like every Wednesday you got to go out and do the dance. So to have like, uh, to have somebody who's like, you know, a close person to me that's got my back to make sure that if anything goes awry for whatever reason, they can run out and grab, oh man, we don't have ones for the register because we put the brisket taco on and instead of $5 a taco, it's $6 a taco. So then every time that somebody gives you a 10, instead of turning around and giving them a five, I'm giving them four ones. And then all my ones just blow out of the register and I don't have change to give to anybody. Holy, holy crap. I didn't realize that that was going to be a problem better. And then what, but thank, thank goodness dad's there. He can run grab some. So I'm really like, I'm really lucky to have had, uh, to have some real love around me and also was made for a beautiful thing too. Like that season of that farmer's market with my dad there, like that's something that's a summer that I won't ever forget in my life. Uh, I think I was, what was I? 33 when that was, when that was going on. And so my dad and I just like, you know, just like two good friends doing something together. It was really for a beautiful thing. So, but I did have to hire my first employee at that point, just a kid to be able to come in, run register for me, throw the tickets and then be able to bring the orders out while I could just stay locked on the grill cooking the whole time. I fucking love this. Okay. <laughs> I fucking love this. This is the, the, just the entrepreneurial spirit, the entrepreneurial ingenuity. You're just moving and you don't take your eye off the most important part, which is the you can train service, you can eventually train someone how to do food, but you can't take your eye off the food for the first building a company. You have to be hands on. Okay. I don't know how to tell anyone else this. Like when I first started and we were in food service partners, I was in California in the kitchen with the employees. I drove the trucks. I was in yep. making the food during the day. I was in the trucks at night. I was with the drivers. I was learning the business. Every single part I was had my eyes on. I built software around those systems. And it's yep. what you're doing right now. It's you're building the systems. You're building the systems. I'm going to keep saying it, everyone. Building the systems. Why? Because you need standard operating procedures to run your business. That's what success is. And everyone's like, oh, Maybe. that seems controlling. Where's the creativity? Mm-hmm. No, the creativity happens when you're organized as fuck. Okay? I'm yep. sorry to yes. put it that way to anyone. But the more no, organized true. and the more you know, you take care of all the things, that doesn't mean control the humans or, or kill creativity. But the most creativity and freedom is in discipline and routine and processes. Processes, processes, processes. Routine, routine, routine. What is it like? How do we start every day? How do we open every day? How do we get in line every day? How do we treat the customers every day? 
That's yes. really important because you can't go into a brick and mortar or from a mobile unit into a brick and mortar or even into a mobile unit without starting to figure out these processes, these standard operating procedures. Okay. Yes. So um, especially yeah. with food safety and, and handling food and prep, like you can get your ass kicked. All of a sudden you get a big order and it's like a tidal wave. And if you don't have the processes that can handle the ups and down of scaling your recipes, you're in trouble. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're providing. You, I, I would like to have people try to think of it as like you're providing, like a like a clean space to let creativity flourish. You know, like you have to you have to you know carve out an area that's like a nice flat piece of ground that's like okay here now this is a place. Sure. Yeah, you can. It can be creative, and there is a little bit of of intangible kind of magic that comes from just flying by the seat of your pants, putting things together, whatever. But it's there's no sustainability to that, and you won't ever, you you, you won't it won't be recreatable, and you can't bring that to somebody and say you know time and time again and say here you go. But you know when you when you can when you take the time to be involved and to yeah, build those systems. You know, now you're creating a nice level surface to build on, and then you can really, you know, explore creativity. And you have to, we said this in X-Ray all the time, and this this was the thing that did translate, was like, you know, learning how to do something. You want to learn one, do one, and then teach one. If you can run through those three steps there, first you got to learn on your own yourself and then you got to really do it like and there that's where you're going to find you're going to see all those intangibles that you could have never known on your own and and then you'll gain one more level of understanding of the setup when you have to go then turn around and verbalize that to somebody else put it down on paper and really then you can pare away all the you can you know trim away all the fat and find the things that are you know, the real core values uh, of the thing that, that you built. But so I was in the middle of, yeah, learning one and then doing one. Let's do this first myself before I can turn around and, and, and teach anybody else. And it was also for me uh, as being a food oriented person and being like, you know, this foodie, that was where I was uh, most excited to, uh, you know, be, I wanted to be in front of the hot grill, uh, putting the things down, cooking the eggs to order, uh, you know, making everything just as special as possible. Uh, and that can be a fault to a degree too. You know, you can come from either side of the line on that where, you know, you want to delegate so much too quickly to, you know, in the very beginning. And then you kind of, you don't have any, you know, real eyes on the situation, but then also you can become like a little too rolled up in the love of it all and, and not be, and, and not be aware of like all the other things that are going on, you know, getting things out at a, on a timely fashion or like, you know, really making it uh, resonate with, uh, you know, the flavors and things resonate with your, your people who are actually eating it. If you're doing it too much for your, for yourself, but it was a it was a really beautiful time for for, for myself and and I do like look back at it with like uh, a little bit of uh, just I don't know just you know it's really sunny moment in my past that I'll, I'll always really cherish. I I love it, dude. I'm like living vicariously through you right now on this point. I'm like I because I fiend at the standard procedures. I love organizing. I love putting things in structures and and hierarchies and organizations and putting teams together and then the processes and procedures within those teams. And I don't function well when people don't function well in those processes and procedures or people right. are almost too entrepreneurial for lack of a better term. And it's not, I wouldn't call it entrepreneur. I would call it too creative where they can't function 
within the procedures. And what I say, there's massive amounts of creativity and structure. I want everyone to hear that. But when an individual rebels almost against process and procedures, there's there's a lack of creativity. I'm just I'm just saying it takes right. a lot. It takes someone to do it. Okay, let's let's rebel against England. Okay, Boston Tea Party, chaos, whatever. No, guys, <laughs> let's write a Declaration of Independence. Okay, one yeah. of the most liberal right. documents on the planet for example okay no and then back it up by with a constitution which is one of the most conservative documents on the planet you know if i'm not mistaken or or vice versa i can't remember how they justify it but that's what makes sense to me i maybe have that backwards and um but either way there's the balance of the two that's what i'm talking about there has to be processes there has to be procedures there has to be written things that everyone's operating on the same level just like i'm talking about with these valuable pieces of paper they dictated our government you know you add in the bill of rights another layer of processes and procedures so i just want the audience to really think about this you've got to be able to think about these things in advance and you've got to be able to see the for lack of a better term the giant boulder that will run you over if you don't have the processes and procedures in place you need to be able to predict them as an entrepreneur but what does that mean it means you've got to start putting them into place that way they're small they're more like pebbles and not a boulder okay so you're you're nailing it okay that little pebble that could escalate into a boulder okay we got to have a process procedure and it can be overwhelming for employees believe me and you don't you know you want them to have the freedom to be able to do their job and handle their customers but at the same time you don't want to messing up that brisket as we just talked about or that pulled pork and it gets dry and it's shit at the bottom of the pan because i know exactly what you're talking about believe me everyone loves overcooking pork i don't know why it can be medium rare it can be it can be flavorful it can be moisture okay i don't know why everyone goes all the way to the extremes even in restaurants to such dry product pork chops like come on man like what's going on here uh, we well, do everything e- else easier. right. Yeah, it, it, it's that's exactly <laughs> it. It's easier to overcook it. Mm-hmm. So, Joseph, let's talk about getting into the brick and mortar. Let's talk about you mentioned the opportunity and. Um, Thank goodness, uh, anyone in the audience, I apologize about the beginning. We had some spotty stuff going on there, but this is coming in crystal clear now. Even though yeah. I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm, uh, everyone, <laughs> I can you know hear them telling me in my earphones, and so, but I don't hear it in here, so we're all good. So we're going to take this chance to break this episode into another part. So we're going to go right into recording the part two uh, here with Joseph. And please, everyone, stay tuned as we're going to release these back-to-back. We're just breaking it up. Uh, Joseph, thank you for coming on the show again. We're about to record part two just to keep things going and keep the episode's time limit because we have a lot to discuss. We haven't even got through most of our questions yet. But really quickly, thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing here or you're a fan of Joseph's or Tomahawk, please share this. Please give positive comments. Please write a little comment. Give it five stars, whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, Please go ahead and do that. Um, It would be awesome. So uh, everyone out there, please continue to listen. Please share. It's really helping. Thank you for all the boosts. We're in over 140 countries now. It's pretty awesome. So thank you guys for listening in. I appreciate all of you, and we're out.